0: Welcome to Redemption Unscripted. On this podcast, you will hear unscripted conversation to help you know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Him, and go advance His kingdom. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Well, welcome back to another episode of Redemption Unscripted. I'm your host, Austin, one of the pastors here at Redemption Chapel, and on the mics with me today, we got, as always, Pastor Rick, our lead pastor. How you doing?
2: Good, brother. Good to be back.
1: Love doing these. And then joining us uh, pretty frequent, frequently on the podcast is Pastor Jared, one of our other associate pastors. How you doing, dude? I'm doing all right.
0: I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable, smelling slightly like lavender, but outside of that,
2: I'm doing okay. Huh. It's a podcast, man. They it's... can't smell you. <laughs> they have you no idea. They fine. can't even see <laughs> you,
0: man. <laughs> I jumped in the shower, and my normal soap wasn't there. I'm like, oh, surely I can use my daughter's soap. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh, it's got a hint of lavender. Uh. And I don't feel great about that, but we're on a podcast and so nobody hey. can smell me. Just we'll to be all right, Just Dude, to be honest,
2: it. Like, was it like in a Barbie bottle or something like that? <laughs> no,
1: okay. but it did say love on it. Oh, yeah. that, are, <laughs> so are you sh- going to keep using it? I sh- <laughs> yeah,
2: it is delightful,
1: <laughs> but I don't know. Oh, well, hey guys, before we jump into our topic, uh, so we are recording this in February, it's going to release in March. And so people listening right now, they're, uh, probably in the thick, if not doing it themselves, they probably know a lot about it and hear a lot about it. And that is filling out a bracket for March madness. So I'm a college basketball fan. So I think it's the greatest time of the year. Uh, I love it. So I'm curious for you guys, um, you know, a do you do a bracket? But then, uh, if you do, what's your philosophy? Do you, do you just randomly pick teams, or you actually like try to try to do the right picks? What do you think?
2: I always try to do the right thing and have Duke losing first round. <sighs> How's that, brother? Uh, yeah, sorry, man. It's sorry. Uh, you know, we do them as a staff team, right? So uh, yes, I fill it out. If we didn't do it as a staff team, I probably wouldn't. so uh, I do enjoy watching hoops, but I don't that faithfully, but I really get into it for the camaraderie with the staff team. So I usually go on espn.com uh, sometimes I just go by the seeds, sometimes I go by some people's predictions and I just mirror it and write it down and Cause I don't know. I like there, I. I know there's. I am not exposed to college hoops to the degree that I'm going to pick better than somebody that's way into it. Now, granted, we all lose and everybody's brackets are screwed after round one anyway. But that's what I do. Sure. Williams, what about you? Yeah, I'm such a
0: pro sports fan. I don't get in. I don't have the same like Coach K man crush you do. Like I don't. I'm not as invested in college, so I'm not as bad as like some people that. Like, oh, I picked because that mascot would beat that mascot, or I like the colors. <laughs> right, and, right. So uh, I'm above that, not too far above that. So, you know, I, I'll pick one. You know, well, like I said, we'll do one as a staff. And I'm competitive enough, like, I'm going to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know enough. The best thing about it is I'm invested in every game. Like, True. Like, yeah. so many things I can care less about, but now I'm invested in, like, State. I don't care about right state, but like <laughs> I picked him in my bracket. Now I really care. So it, that's true. It makes it fun, but I'm not like a super college football, yeah. college
2: job basketball and, guy. And what's interesting though around the the church building, like the guys who are always talking hoops, pro or college, we're all into it. All usually don't win the brackets. Sure. Usually it's More one of true. our receptionists who I never hear talk about sports otherwise. Yeah.
1: And a lot of times they yeah they randomly pick team and that's the beauty of the tournament. It's didn't Carlo yeah. win last year? uh I won last year thank you actually I won uh (laughs) Duke did not make it in the suddenly worked that into the podcast (laughs) I don't know who
2: I I mean that's right it was me (laughs) it was a
1: bad year when Duke didn't get in but then I won the bracket but uh and that should tell you something because I will tell you
0: how you pick you are the most unobjective person I've ever met with sports 100% you 100% pick with your heart so the one time Duke's not in it you win I believe
2: didn't you have the Browns going to the Super Bowl this year yeah, every
1: yeah, every year. Yeah, <laughs> ever, every every year. year I had a video on my phone, me saying they're going to make the Super Bowl, and I quickly deleted it. So yes. <laughs> about midway through the season. All right. Well, enough of that. We could, man. We could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we'll one day. But, uh, but for now, we got a much more important topic that I'm excited uh, to have you guys discuss and to share your thoughts on, and that's uh, the sinlessness of Jesus. And so uh, I've got this question for. I know you guys have gotten this question as pastors that you know. Uh, did Jesus sin, could he sin, uh, and there's different thoughts on that. And a lot of people are just, they're just confused by it. And so let's kind of dive into that in this podcast. So someone will start with a super straight, easy question,
2: did Jesus sin? Yeah, first of all, I loved your pivot there. Like, <laughs> You just went from March Madness and the Browns to the sinlessness of Jesus. Well, I don't want to like, make the podcast kind of, too long, so you got to just go. It's kind of a <laughs> jump. but and I'm really proud of you. You said the sinlessness of Jesus is more
0: important than college basketball. That's a big step for legit, you. Like, good, good job. I
1: feel like I'm getting thrown on the bus a lot here, guys. <laughs> yeah, <Let's> you, won, <laughs> you won the brackets last year. You're
2: all good. you got some problems. All right, well, so the first question on the table is, did Jesus sin? And this is the easy one, obviously. The answer is no. So there it is. Now we can move on. But at the same time, like, well, is it no because Pastor Rick said or, you know. So a few quick scriptures there. John 3, 5 says, you know, that he, and that's referring to Christ, that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Boom. There it is. First Peter 2, says he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Mic drop, we're done, Jesus did not sin. I think that one's the easy one though.
0: Yeah. Totally agree, right? That's the, the easiest one to answer, but I'm glad you just took it to plain Scripture, because mm-hmm. one of the things we get there, oh, is this just a theological philosophical ideas? I mean, there are many more we're going to read, and it is explicitly stated. He didn't sin, and part of the reason that pings for me is, you know, being raised Catholic, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, Mary was sinless. Well, where'd that come oh, from? Good well, point. wait a minute. If you listen to uh, kind of, which, you know, we would find unconvincing arguments from Catholic theology— There's nothing in Scripture that says that. It's, well, if she was the carrier of Christ, then I actually looked what up today, and the very first line was, you know, God has revealed things not just in his Scripture, but also through tradition. And so, I mean, it tips the hand right away. So when you maybe hear that about Mary, that is much more from church tradition later, not explicitly laid out in Scripture. Christ, it is an undebatable black and white truth in Scripture. Absolutely. Mm
2: -hmm. And... It's great. I love that you brought that into it, Pastor Jared. And and so we would be clear, we do not believe in the sinlessness of Mary. Uh, we feen- find it neither taught in Scripture. What we find is the opposite taught, that all human beings are sinful. And of course, now we got to get to Jesus, that he's God, he's man that's coming. Yeah. But so we have questions there about Jesus. But Mary is quite clearly... Human and flawed and sinful, just like me, just like everyone else. Hence the amazing grace mm-hmm. and majesty of what God did through her womb, bringing the Son of God into the world. Now, Mary is to be uh, respected, uh, loved, admired, not worshiped. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it, even with it being the easy yes, like one of the things that really compels me is I think we can have an easy answer of okay, Jesus never broke the Ten Commandments it is so unbelievably more amazing than that. Like, take covet, something where God judges the heart. Like, at every single moment in his entire existence here on earth, he never had one unloving, selfish thought. Like, never once had an inappropriate, like, emotional. So, yeah, as much as it's easy to say, like, it really is. I mean, you mentioned that worship. Like, it is worship worthy. Like, every second, every millisecond, he was perfectly loving. And it, yeah. It is amazing. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Well, And I like that, you yeah, we got that one out of the way. I mean, did he sin? No. Uh, so I think the, the next question that, you know, often gets asked then is, could he have sinned? So we know he didn't sin, but could he have sinned?
2: And this is where it gets interesting, right? So I, I know some really good pastors who sharply disagree and would give different answers to this. And my answer would be, could he have sinned? No. And yes. (laughs) No and yes. So it's it's rooted in the big word coming at you, ready? Hypostatic union. So the fact that Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% man. He is fully both. And that is found in one person, Jesus Christ. And, you know, how is, okay, I'll admit out of the gates, it blows our minds. It is really hard for us to wrap our minds around. But the scriptures clearly teach that he is 100% God, and they clearly teach that he is 100% man. And this is where the virgin birth becomes important. So uh, because he is not uh, born of a uh, human father, he does not have passed on human uh, original sin, depravity. Like that is not in Christ. So he is 100% human as Adam was pre fall. So he is 100% human, 100% God. Now, in that, could he sin is the question on the table. And I heard it best explained as a stick in a metal rod. So, can you break a stick? Yes, snap, twig, done, whatever. Now you got a metal rod that you can't break, right? It's like big, thick, strong. Can you break it? No. You take that stick and you tape it to the metal rod. It can't break. Mm-hmm. So in his humanity, could he have sinned? Yes. In his deity, could he have sinned? No. Hence the split answer. Mm-hmm. Pastor Jared, I know you and I are lockstep on these things, but how does that strike you? What, what, tri- what does that trigger in you?
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm so glad you went that way with it because this is one of those kind of finer theological points where people can get passion on either side because I would fall squarely in that yes and no. And I think mostly we're dealing with semantics half the time. It's like, did he know? Could he? Well, what is it? You know, we're, we're kind of getting into a, an interesting territory. But yeah, I if it was would he have sinned, that's an easier one, right? Well, no, he wouldn't have. Be, now, could he have there is definitely that yes and no, because for the temptation to be legitimate, well, yes, you know, but would he have ever... No, so there's the possibility, but zero probability, you know, and right.
2: so... Well, yeah. and you said for the temptation to be legitimate, and and so I, I um, because this was a weightier matter, I made sure I had a few scriptures ready to pull up, and so you got Hebrews four fifteen, beautiful scripture that says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Of course, this is talking in reference to Christ, right? And it goes on, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that scripture. A lot of people, that's their favorite scripture right there. It's beautiful. But what it says about Jesus is that he was tempted. And this is where the question comes in. Can you be tempted without hmm. the possibility of sin? So it, if, it, like, like, I would say God the Father is not tempted by sin. There's no sense, there's no reason, and there's no logic in saying that God the Father is tempted. He just can't sin. He's holy, perfect. There's no temptation. So no, he is not. But here it mm-hmm. says that Jesus is tempted, which means he can sin. Now, time out. Wait a minute. That means God could uh, sin. Uh, 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 He's yeah. God. You're saying God could sin. And there you go into the hypostatic union. But that's where... And so, Jared, you mentioned the temptation. And that's what makes the question a little thorny.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm sure you haven't seen it. But uh, the original Superman movies, I was going to say because of age. And you don't really watch... Movies growing up. So, I cannot uh, argue that. <laughs> yeah. So to, but there's that scene, right, where Superman, for those who have seen the older one, where he kind of loses being Superman. And I, I, It's funny. I just watched a clip recently. I'm, I should use it in a sermon because it's a good illustration. But, uh, you know, his mother is like, look, when you do this, you're going to be an ordinary man. You'll mm. feel like an ordinary man. You'll hurt like an ordinary man. And so he kind of, it's kind of like the process of what Jesus did, right? He'd be taking on humanity. Like Jesus had pain receptors when he was slapped. It hurt. He had pleasure receptors. Like he was tempted to continue to eat or overeat or pleasures of the flesh. He had every one of those. And, you know, we'll get into it more of why it's important. That's huge for his ability to sympathize with us. Like he knows what it is to feel pain, hmm. just like we feel pain. Right he on. has those same pain receptors and pleasure centers. It he is a good
2: illustration. How ticked would you be if I used it Sunday? You're like, "Dang it! <laughs> We're not look at the podcast." <laughs> TJ will edit that part out.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so you guys have already sort of going that way a little bit with you know Jesus being tempted. We know he was tempted, and uh, so so a question to kind of throw at you guys with that is. So when Jesus was tempted, how, how did he fight it? Like, what was kind of his approach to fighting that temptation that he encountered?
2: Well, uh, okay, again, humanity and deity of Christ. 100% man, 100% God, hypostatic union, right? So when we talk about how did Jesus fight temptation and sin, well, in his divinity, it was just not an option. He's not going to sin. Okay, but that only half answers the question. So now in his humanity, and this is where scholars do disagree, my perspective on it would be that in his humanity, he relied on the Holy Spirit. And if you read through the Gospels, like it's very clear, especially in Luke, like it says Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, blank, did this, did that, whatever, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, full of, and so Jesus, I think, lived a human life perfectly full of the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways we can tease that out is, well, okay, but how did he do miracles? Because he was God. Oh, well, time out. The apostles also did miracles. Were they God? No. What they do? They were full of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so I believe Jesus, in his humanity, how he uh, dealt with temptation yet avoided it, is he was perfectly without pause the entire time, filled with the Holy Spirit, in tune with in step with the Holy Spirit, as Galatians says. Uh, That's what I think Jesus did.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we're starting to bleed in the next question, but I do think, you know, it really does become important, you know, for Jesus to be our representative— Jesus didn't just have a cheat code, you know. Right. So yes, he died for our sins, but he also is the example of the perfect human. And he was fully human, you know. And so there is that surrendering that, you know, you see as a perfect representative of us, not a half step to us. And so, yeah, I think that is important. And I keep thinking of the Gaffigan bits every time I think of that, you know. Like, you know, if you remember Gaffigan of... I mean, how do you buy a present for Christ? You Remember that of, like, oh, wow, I'm the perfect, you know, human. I died for your sins. You bought me socks. Wow, thanks. You know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I imagine being his, you know, Jesus' siblings, like, my brother's such a goody two-shoes. He's so perfect. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's literal. I'm perfect. You know, like, he was the perfect human, but I love what you brought it out. We can look to him and sympathize. He did it much like we would do that, hmm. dependent upon the Spirit.
2: Well, first... We're talking about a reality that is very foreign to our human experience. So in, in my human experience, I was from birth born with a fallen, depraved human nature. My default mode is to sin. <laughs> T- temptation? Answers yes. I'm in. Like, <laughs> that's my default mode. And it is for every human being. And I have to fight uphill from there, Right. But remember, Jesus is not born with that same fallen human nature, again, the importance of the virgin birth. So he is more like Adam pre-fall. Now, one of the, I believe, the hardest thing Satan ever did was to get Adam and Eve to sin. How do you get two who don't have a fallen nature, don't have the proclivity that I now have today, how do you get them to rebel against God in their perfect relation? That's such an uphill battle. So for Jesus, we got to realize that's his reality. To get Jesus to sin, even in, in his humanity, his, let me rephrase that, in his unsin-stained humanity, that's really, really hard. Get hmm. Rick to sin, low shelf for Satan, you know, because I've got that fallen nature.
0: That's one thing I've always wondered you know, we see the biblical picture, and you go in the garden, Adam and Eve, and the story moves along quickly. But I really wonder, like, how much time was that? Like, they're in the perfect—they're in paradise with God. You know, in the scriptures, I mean, it almost comes across like it's the next moment, but there had to be some amount of time. Man, I mean, I really have wondered that sometime. How much time was there to turn from paradise? Like, how good was that apple? Like,
2: right. man— I, it's just a wild... Have thing you ever about. read the space trilogy from Lewis? I That's he read that t- one. he plays with that. It's yeah. they're fiction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're they're really interesting. But whereas uh, Narnia is definitely uh, fiction, but there's c- clearly Christian themes. I would say the space trilogy is almost like theological fiction, like any toys. with And so you're on this other planet where there is an Eve character who is being tempted and she actually stays faithful. And, she, and so it does tease out the timeline more. You see the wrestling and the thoughts and all that. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. But, uh, like uh, Lewis's fiction is not our standard, neither is Wayne Grudem. But I will give a quote uh, from Grudem's systematic theology where he said this. He said, the key to understanding the duality of Christ's human nature. And we've just talked about that, fully God, human man, the duality, right? Okay, so the key to understanding that and his sinlessness is understanding that sin, as part of the human condition is not the normal condition. God did not create us as sinners, but as a result of the fall, sin has marred our lives. So it's just interesting to keep that in mind. Like, a a sinful human nature, that's not the normal. That's not what God intended to be normal for humanity. Unfortunately, it's our normal now, but we have to understand Christ in a little bit different light, even in his humanity.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing that same logic with miracles, and it really stuck out to me. Because we think of miracles as the exception. No, yep. time out. This busted world is the exception. Miracles are the return to the not, you know. We should see the fallenness as the exception, but that's our current reality, so it's so hard. And miracles seem crazy. No, that's just a return to what God always intended. Like, those shouldn't be seen as the outliers, you
1: know. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess, you know, a question that, that really kind of helps us maybe wrap a lot of this up is, uh, you know, why does this matter? So, I, I, you know, I think it's easy, maybe someone could listen to this podcast and, you know, get some answers theologically and maybe, you know, know some things to say, but, but at the end of the day, why does it matter uh, that Jesus didn't sin and, and that we understand, you know, could He, could He not, and then how did He deal with temptation? Like, what
2: what's at stake here? Why is this so important? Sure. And... I- That makes me just pause for a second. And and if you're still listening, I want to thank you uh, for being a part of our audience. Some of you are regular listeners. And so I'm really, really grateful that you tune in and take on this content. And even to get to this far, because this one, like, this is a, Austin, you choose the topics. I love your leadership. You're doing great in that. And this one is a little bit more high shelf theological. And for somebody to stick with us this far, I mean, good on you, good on you. Uh, And now I I hope we help you get the payoff a little bit. Why does it even matter? And it matters because Jesus is our Savior. And without a Savior, we're screwed. And, And so we are in a broken relationship with God unless God acts and does something different. And what He did is He sent a Savior to stand in our place and take our penalty for us. But if Jesus is not sinless, he cannot be the Savior. And so the way you get, like, if he has sin of his own, he has a penalty of his own to pay. He needs a Savior. But the only way he can be somebody else's Savior is to have no penalty of his own to pay. Therefore, he has to be sinless. And 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that, verses 18 and 19. Say this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. There's original sin. You inherited it. You were ra- ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without spot or blemish. So sinless Savior ransomed us. If he's not sinless, we're not saved. That's the first thing I kick in there.
0: Yeah, it's and that's so huge. You think of old testament, you know, the, the high priest had to pay for his own sins, then he could try to represent us for you know, for salvation it really is necessary. And I go to that same place, but even just more on a practical, emotional level for me when you say that. I mean it's essentially confidence in our savior and our salvation. Hundred percent. I remember it was one of the it was one of the purest times of worship I've had. And it wasn't led by Gary, although well, there have been many and <laughs> <laughs> significant. It, it, was, it was by my wife in our kitchen. I've told this story mm. before, but it was a powerful moment. It was right after, I think, another leader fell, right? You know, mm. another really influential leader fell in sin. And, and it was one that hit close to home, and we were just grieving, like, man. Like, and then you just sit in fear all the people we put our hopes in, and you just wait, like, what's going to happen next, you know? And, and my wife Molly, just in a pure moment of worship for us, just said, I, I can't believe, like, it's so wonderful to know Jesus will, will never find the skeletons in his closet. Yep. Like, it, it never comes a day where we find out Jesus failed us. And, it, and I don't know, it, it just hit us both in a very deep way. Yeah. Everybody Everyone you put your hope in on this earth will let you down. We talked about Catholic theology, Martin Luther, and we put our hope in them, and uh, he's a little bit anti-Semitic. What do we do with that? Well, my hope's not in Luther. Take your pick. Everybody. If somebody, you know, poked around in the recesses of our souls right now, Mm -hmm. it would be a matter of time before you're disappointed in everybody you're hearing on the mic today. Jesus, it'll never happen. Like, I never have to fear yeah, and that he's going to let mother, me down.
2: Because that means the sinfulness of man will never rattle my faith in Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Because I always have a sinless Savior. I was never put my faith in the sinlessness of Christians, yeah. but the sinlessness of Christ. Yeah. That's, uh, that's gorgeous. I envy you that time with Molly. That's sweet. Yeah. And, and so that means he's not only um, the possibility to be someone's Savior— but then to be everyone's savior. So uh, that implies his deity. So uh, I, I could take one person's death penalty, but I'm a one-and-done kind of guy. Like, I got one life to give. So Jesus, though, is able to, uh, once for all, pay for all sin, and that's his divinity. Of course, he can only be divine if he is sinless. So his, the, the ability to be everyone's savior requires divinity, Divinity requires sinlessness, so the dominoes fall in that direction. And Jared, you were referring then. Uh, you, you made an allusion to Hebrews chapter seven, and I think it's a great passage to bring up in the midst of this. Uh, starting like verse twenty-two, it starts to talk about how Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, and it talks about the former high priests. And you were mentioning that, brother, uh, that there was many of them, but it says that they there was many high priests because they kept dying. Why'd they die? Because they were sinners. They all had sin, so they died. It said, Jesus is a better high priest because he is permanent, he's forever. And then it says, so he can save to the uttermost those who are being saved. Those, plural, not singular, plural. So how's he get that done? And so I'll start reading in verse 26 then. It says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So his ability not only to be one person Savior, but many people Savior is predicated on his holiness, his sinlessness. Uh, and again, that makes him true and better high priest. That makes him worthy of worship.
0: That's one of my favorite things uh, from kind of church traditions. It uh, kind of is in that different category. But I remember hearing that for the first time when they, the high priest would go in in the Old Testament. And there was just an uncertainty of fear because if he doesn't yep. pay for his sins right, what would they do? And so I've read you know, through kind of church history, you know, Old Testament history, but the, they would tie a rope around mm-hmm. him when he would go in. And so you, you could just feel the fear and angst. Like, well, what if he doesn't offer his sin and he drops dead? I can't go in and get him. Like, you go get him, you know? so, Because I mean, if so you would,
2: went in, you'd die yeah, too. You die.
0: Yep. <laughs> piles of bodies. <laughs> right, of right, so right. they would just, you know, yank him out like they're fishing, you know. But even in that, you feel the fear and the uncertainty. What if it's not good enough? There's no fear. He, he's the perfect Lamb of God, and just you know, the utter confidence we can have in His
2: sinlessness. And brother, as you bring that context to bear, man, I just want to picture it. Jesus Christ goes into the Holy of Holies with no rope around His waist. There is no fear that He is not going to get the job done. That He's going to drop dead. He is sinless. Hmm. Now it's uh, His sinlessness. Not only uh, again the, the impact. <laughs> here's the impact, like if, if this is just too theological for you and you're going, why does this even matter? Question for you, do you want to go to hell or heaven? <laughs> like kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal hinging on this very topic. And, and it's not only that he therefore is able to pay for our sins, but he is also therefore to give us a right standing before God. So our standing before God as Christians, as those who have been called by God, adopted by God, we place our faith in Jesus. We are now in a relationship with him, not just a religion. As those kind of people, our standing before God is, it says it all throughout the New Testament, quote unquote, in Christ. So when God looks at me, though I am still sin stained, I'm a mess just like everyone else that's listening to us. God sees the righteousness of Christ which you can't get any better. So God couldn't possibly love me more. He doesn't love me less. On my worst days, it's not like God is going, man, I wish I didn't. No, he sees the righteousness of Christ draped all around me. That's what he sees. And of course, that brings up the great exchange, which I'll, I'll, I'll hand off to you, Pastor Jared.
0: Yeah, I mean, that—that that is the beautiful picture to where it does come down to salvation, you know, as God sees me not in, you know, Jesus is my example to be a better human. God sees me. He sees that perfect life. I mean, we mentioned Luther. That was kind of the verse that brought him the righteousness of Christ. So in that confidence of the great exchange where he takes my sin and we receive his righteousness, his life. And so And God said it's hard to imagine a sinless life and it's hard for me to imagine God seeing me as a sinless human being in that beautiful exchange of the the gospel that he takes our sin and so i mean the laid out second corinthians 5:21 i mean that's the passage we're talking about right now for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god and that's the the beautiful hope we celebrate
2: and so for those of you who are listening listen i know this week you are going to be striving uh, to be less sinful, to be better people, to make God love you more. And I just want to tell you to stop it. <laughs> just stop it because your your hope is not based in that. Your hope is based on the fact that you would be in Christ and therefore wrapped in his 100% pure, perfect righteousness and so you are now if you are in Christ you are secure in the Savior you're secure in God's love by grace you're his kid and he loves you and you can go through your week resting in that instead of striving again and again and again. Hmm. that matters hmm. yeah
1: well and this is man guys yeah, this has been a great conversation I mean uh, as you guys said both I mean this is a weighty, Topic and one to really dive into, and um, and my hope is that you know if you're still listening, that this doesn't draw you to being confused or you know freaking out like I don't understand what these big words are, but (laughs) hypostatic, what? (laughs) But hopefully, it drives you to worship, uh, and and drives you to yeah, be in awe of Jesus and our and who He is, our Savior. So, uh, before we wrap up, any final thoughts you guys want to leave the listeners with?
2: Well, I'll underline what you just said there. You said, "Lead us to worship." Uh, the reality is I refuse to worship a sin-stained thing. And, and it's, if something is stained by sin, it's just not worthy of our worship, which is pretty much everything we know on earth. And so therefore, Jesus Christ, our sinless Savior, the one exception, uh, He is the only one worthy of our worship. And so I would hope that it would also inspire us toward to just fall to the ground, prostrate before Him, and just love Him.
0: And I love both sides of this, right? We said it's yes and no. The okay he was sinless, we can have utter confidence, but also the possibility of sin. And that beautiful verse, we have a God who can sympathize with us. And I, 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 both sides bring great comfort to me. The confidence we could have, but also the unbelievable reality that we go to a God who was tempted like us. Yep. And he understands Like whatever you're struggling with. He understands exactly what you're struggling with and was sinless in the midst of it. And we can go to him and he can say, I know. Mm. I know what you're feeling.
2: Yeah, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah. He doesn't, you dirty, like you're just it's disgusting. disgusting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He doesn't go there. Yeah. He, was, he, he can sympathize. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, great stuff, guys. Thanks uh, Thanks for sharing those thoughts. And uh, thank you for listening. And we hope you will tune in again next month as we have another episode of Regression Unscripted.
2: Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. To catch the latest episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us. For more resources like this, visit our website at
0: www.redemptionchapel.com. We hope you join us next time on Redemption Unscripted.